Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. This week, we'll be focusing on Passover. That's what we have planned to talk about this week. Pesach in Hebrew, it's the celebration of the Jewish people reliving, retelling the story of the exodus of the Israelites from out of slavery in Egypt. And I'm looking forward to talking to our guests, our broadcast partners, Rick, Ken Timmerman, David Dolan, Itamar Marcus, Palestinian Media Watch, and then, of course, Steve Herzig and our good friend, the pastor, Menno Kalish here in the city of Jerusalem. Rick, a lot is happening in our world today, and obviously we can't focus on everything that's taking place. That's right. And around the world, Jimmy, there's been so many things going on, protests, uh, heartbreak, tragedies, political upheaval, all these things taking place. We keep an eye on these things. But I tell you what, Jimmy, if I didn't know, we study Bible prophecy to be assured that we know how this story is going to end. If I didn't know that, I don't know how I'd make it through this. Yes. Bible prophecy does help us to understand that. By the way, I'm going to be in WPEO country, which is the word in Peoria, Illinois. I'm going to be there in that area at El Vista Baptist Church with Pastor Joy Watt on April 15th through the 17th. I would love for you, all of you that listen to us in that area, to come visit us and be with us during that prophecy conference where we will talk about these items, how to study Bible prophecy, what the world is doing in today in light of Bible prophecy. Well, let's get started with our first, Ken Timmerman. Ken Timmerman joins us. He's our expert in geopolitical affairs. He's a man who has a wide range of experiences, the Middle East and Europe, all over the world. And politically, uh, he details and chronicles those experiences in his book, And the Rest is History. Ken, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Thanks for having me, Rick. It's always a pleasure. Well, Ken, we've got a lot to get to this week, but I think we'll start with, as we said when we were talking before, the elephant in the room, the biggest story of the week, and maybe one of the biggest stories to come along the pike in quite a while. It's the what seems to be a politically motivated prosecution of former president, current presidential candidate Donald Trump. Tell us what we need to know about that story. The first thing you need to know is that this has never happened in the history of America where a former president has been indicted by a state prosecutor, or in fact, any prosecutor. Next, what you need to know is the way that Nancy Pelosi responded to this. And she said, oh yeah, this is the way our system works. The president will have a chance to prove his innocence in court. Well, gee, that shows how the formerly third ranking person in the US government, when she was Speaker of the House, views our democracy. You prove your innocence in court? No, I'm sorry, you don't. You are innocent until proven guilty. That is the way our system works. But the Democrats don't believe that, Rick. And I think that's one of the tremendously significant things about this. You don't have to like Donald Trump to understand that this is just fundamentally wrong. It's fundamentally un-American. It is turning us into a banana republic. And frankly, I think it's turning us into a laughingstock. We are no different than Vladimir Putin or Zelensky, or any other dictator who jails his political opponents or tries to jail their political opponents. It's just absurd. And frankly, the best resolution of this would be for Alvin Bragg to drop his indictment. It certainly seems to me like this has opened or could open a Pandora's box, especially if he does not drop the indictment. He continues along with it. If this type of no-holds-barred 
blatant political uh, weaponization of our legal system continues, there's no telling where it will end. Is that correct? Well, there is no telling where it will end. And uh, look, for example, at a current president of the United States, who we now know he and his family have taken millions of dollars from the Chinese Communist Party. There are words for that in American history. It's called treason. He's selling out to a foreign power, foreign influence. Uh, So I'm afraid that those who cast stones are very vulnerable themselves. I would not like to see us go down the route of prosecuting the political opposition, whatever party might be in power, prosecuting their opposition. I think it's it's a disaster. It is a third world uh, country for us to do that. But look, Alvin Bragg, this prosecutor in New York State, has become the Laurentio Beria of our times. Beria was the founder of the KGB. He worked for Stalin. And he was the man who said famously, show me the man and I'll find you the crime. <laughs> it certainly seems like that has been the motto or the modus operandi uh, from the current DA in Manhattan. Well, that speaks to kind of what I feel is a greater theme going on in the world today. And we talk a lot about Israel. There was a an election, the right one, the left was upset. The right tried to make some changes. They're an elected government. That's their prerogative. Now, there's a lot of facets to that story, but people took to the streets. If you don't win at the ballot box, you take to the streets. This is happening in France as well, a country that I know is dear to your heart, where there was changes that they didn't like by the government. So violent protests are the norm. Couple that with what's going on with Donald Trump. Is there a new dynamic in the world today? There is, but I don't think that's what it is. The new dynamic is that people are fed up with the elites, the cultural elites, the political elites, the financial elites. That's what led to the election of Donald Trump in 2016, and it could possibly lead to his re-election in 2024. Uh, In France, these protests um, against Macron, people forget Emmanuel Macron, the boy president of France, is the creature of Klaus Schwab the founder of the World Economic Forum. He he worked for Schwab when he was a younger man. Uh, he's very close to that. He is an internationalist, a globalist. Uh, he thinks that France should subordinate its rule of law to other countries in the European Union. Uh, and yet when he wants to change the pensions law, the, the retirement age and all of that, people get up in arms uh, because he's never going to have to worry about his pension. But what I think is important, again, This is a protest against the global elites, and Macron in particular represents those elites. Well, continuing along that line then, and I've been meaning to ask you this question for a little while. We've been focusing so much on this program, on Russia, on China, on Iran, and we've kind of pushed the European Union and Europe in general outside of the the Russia conflict into the background. And there was a changing of guard in the leadership, most notably Angela Merkel uh, stepping down in Germany. And even from what you just said, I'm not quite sure that Macron has the gravitas to take the mantle of leadership in the European Union and Europe writ large. Is there a power vacuum there? And who do you see stepping in to fill that vacuum if there is? Uh, This is a conjuries of midgets ruling in uh, Europe today. You have these small little leaders. Uh, In fact, it's funny because you have the prime minister of Estonia, this uh, beautiful uh, 30-year-old woman who is far more outspoken, a defender of Western values. You have a new prime minister, female prime minister on the right in Italy, who also is a great defender of uh, Judeo-Christian values and Western culture. 
And then you have Macron or the former Swedish uh, prime minister. They had they had an election and they lost, but basically are falling back into old think. They have a big problem with the Ukraine war. And their problem is that they are now pegged for their electricity market on the German market. Uh, in Sweden, for example, the prices have gone up from 20 cents a kilowatt hour to $3 a kilowatt hour in less than a year. 20 cents to $3. I mean, that is just such an enormous increase that the government uh, has seen fit to give rebate checks to just about every electricity user in the country to forestall the kind of riots that you're seeing in Spain uh, and in France today. So I think the, the Europeans are realizing that they might have bitten off more than they can chew with the Ukraine war. Uh, they've gotten uh, snookered into leading ahead of the, Amer of the United States. It's European countries, and we spoke uh, about this a couple of weeks ago, Rick, who are now leading the way in shipping heavy weapons, tanks and armored personnel carriers and self-propelled howitzers to Ukraine ahead of the United States. And I think they're beginning to have second thoughts about that because they're not prepared uh, to work together and to lead together. They don't have a union. Well, Ken, moving on, final question. There was some movement in NATO, and this is something that we've been talking about for a little while. If you could, right before you go, could you let us know what is taking place in Finland and their NATO membership bid? Well, what actually happened here is that Turkey, remember, was blocking the ascension of Sweden and Finland into NATO. NATO is a consensus organization, so all of the member states must agree to new members. And the Finns agreed to Turkey's conditions. So uh, Finland is going to be sworn into NATO this next week. Uh, it's happening right now. Uh, that is not what happened with Sweden. The, the Swedes were holding the line on Erdogan's demands that they extradite uh, 100 or so Kurds who were opposed to uh, Erdogan. They also wanted a journalist, a Turkish journalist, who was uh, closely tied to Erdogan's opponents in the Gulen movement, which is an Islamist movement, but not as radical as Erdogan is. And remember I said on the show, Keep your eyes on Erdogan because those elections are coming up in Turkey, the presidential election on May 15th. And there's still time for him to outlaw the HDP, which is the Kurdish opposition party. And they right now are the ones giving a 10 percent margin of victory to the opposition in the polls. So keep your eye on it. I fully expect that he's going to try to outlaw that party, which could lead to a pretty dramatic civil unrest in Turkey as they approach those elections. Well, Ken, we will keep our eye on that situation, and we appreciate you keeping your eye on all these events all over the world. Again, if you appreciate Ken's work informing us about what's taking place in the geopolitical sphere, you can find out more about him by going to KenTimmerman.com. His latest book, and the rest is history, is a great read. Ken, thank you for being on the program. Thank you, Rick. It's always a pleasure. Great job as always, Ken. Let me remind you that Daniel chapter 9 talks about a future tyrant that will come. He will be ruling and reigning. He'll confirm a peace treaty with Israel. The reason that we focus on these countries and a person that will come in the future, a world leader, is because it's talked about in Bible prophecy. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. We are seeing a system being put in place for the Antichrist to come on the scene. Well, we got to take a break, and when we come back, we'll take a look at our Middle East news and what's happening there in Israel with David Dolan. 
right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. More information is coming out about Monday's deadly Christian elementary school shooting in Nashville, Tennessee. The shooter, a former student, was a 28-year-old biological female who identified as a transgender man. Nashville police confirmed this was a targeted attack, possibly out of resentment. Keys for Kids Ministries' Greg Yoder says American Christians can respond, not with vitriol and hate, but rather with the gospel. Pray for Americans to know Jesus. And we'll end today in the Middle East, where Uncharted Ministries works alongside believers in churches to bring the good news of Jesus to Muslim and Jewish communities. Uncharted co-founder Tom Doyle says God is moving in miraculous ways to transform hearts and lives. You can see it firsthand by traveling to the Middle East with Uncharted. In the full story at our website, Doyle describes three ways to put feet to your faith and step out of your comfort zone. Find your place in the story at missionnews.org. Mission Network News is a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. Well, we have reached that point in our program that we like to call our Middle East News Update. We look at news from all over the Middle East in general, but in particular, we typically focus on Israel. And we'll start there. We've got our good friend, author, journalist, Dave Dolan. Dave, thank you for joining us today. It's a blessing to be with you, Rick. Well, Dave, we have spent quite a bit of time over the last several weeks talking about the judicial overhaul. We've covered it from many different angles, and there's plenty of new news this week. We'll start with the fact that it has been suspended by Prime Minister Netanyahu. Tell us what happened and why it happened. Well, things heated up last weekend, uh, just after we were on the air, actually, Saturday evening, the prime minister made some statements, and the defense minister, who had earlier uh, threatened to resign, went ahead uh, with that, uh, Yoav Gallant, saying, I can't uh, participate in such a government if we continue with this. And uh, then the next day, Sunday, Netanyahu fired him, although that hasn't actually taken effect yet, Rick, but he said he was going to fire him. And that set off a huge round of protests all across the country, bigger than we seen so far. Those extended into Monday when the Histadrut labor union called a nationwide strike which shut down Ben-Gurion Airport, the trains, the buses, pretty much all of Israel was shut down. And the prime minister then went on television and announced, as you said, that he was suspending for a month, though only, 
During the Knesset Passover recess, which has already started and goes until April 30th, and uh, then they'll be back in session, and then he said he would proceed with it. Well, that was meant to calm things down. It hasn't. The opposition is still very strong against it. They still are planning more and more protests, and in fact, they held more protests all over the country, and the opposition called on the prime minister to uh, can the whole thing altogether. And of course, uh, most importantly, President Biden put his thumb on the project as well, saying that Israel cannot continue down this road. He said it's anti-democratic. He said, I hope that Netanyahu will stop this for good and this sort of thing, which raised its own reactions in Israel. But a very heated process where it stands right now is uh, the recess has begun and we'll just see what happens after the Knesset recess and what happens during the month of uh, Passover and Ramadan otherwise. Well, Dave, as we look at this situation, and we've talked about this before, Prime Minister Netanyahu has a somewhat diverse coalition. He's got his Likud party, which is, is, is almost centrist right now, and then he's got coalition members to the right of him. So he is walking a fine line. In this scenario, we were probably expecting something like this to happen, a pause, especially as the protests continue to grow. But what I'm wondering and what I'd like to talk about a little bit more is President Biden's response to this whole situation. And from what I understood, if you look at the situation, the scenario, when Prime Minister Netanyahu called a pause on this, it seemed to signal that, okay, he could get his visit with uh, President Biden, he could come to the White House, the State Department in America was on board. But then you look at President Biden's response, it was off the cuff, and it was different than what his administration was putting out there. Can you talk about that a little bit and whether you think this was intentional or in essence, and maybe an accident by President Biden? Well, we have to recall that uh, under President Obama, when Biden was vice president, there was a huge tensions between Netanyahu and Obama. Biden stayed out of that, more or less, but he was part of that administration. And this just continues that. Yes, there's been a lot of criticism in Israel over uh, Biden's statements, saying it's gone way too far. He's interfering with internal affairs. Uh, Itamar Ben-Gavir, the national security minister, the controversial one, uh, denounced it strongly. And by the way, he had threatened to resign from the government and take his faction of the National Religious Party out of the government, which would have caused its collapse. He was threatening that on Monday, which delayed Netanyahu's announcement. In the end, it was agreed that they would set up a national guard. There's been talk of that for some years in Israel that would operate in Israeli cities and towns as a paramilitary force when there's riots going on, like there was two years ago during the war in Gaza. So he's going to be in charge of that force, the prime minister said, and that got him to stay in the government. But Biden's statement is basically saying to Netanyahu, look, collapse your government. I mean, in effect, it's interfering in the very existence of the government. And to rule that these changes are anti-democratic, well, you know, not all Israelis believe that. In fact, many believe, and the polls show, even in the center and left, as we've discussed before, that there does need to be judicial reforms, that it has gone too far in the direction of the Supreme Court having final say on everything, and uh, that the government has to balance that out. So there's still strong support for that. And Smotrich, the other leader of the right-wing party, has 
said, if we don't resurrect this, if you don't carry on with it, I'll leave the government. So it's just not that Netanyahu can decree these things. As you say, he's got a coalition. There is increasing talk, however, Rick, that Benny Gantz will be drafted into a new coalition and the uh, ultra-religious parties will go out of it. But the two Orthodox religious parties, this gets confusing, but uh, Shas and the National Religious Party this week indicated that they're in favor of pausing this. They see the harm it's doing to the country and the military, and they're willing to postpone all of this. And frankly, Rick, there's growing criticism amongst Israeli uh, politicians and others that this was brought up right now at all. They say Netanyahu should have established his government, worked on Iran and these other pressing issues, and only later on. Uh, introduce these legislative changes that everyone knew were going to be very disruptive and controversial. No one predicted quite uh, how far they would go and that it actually would start to look a little bit like civil war. Well, Dave, while this political crisis is going on in Israel, of course, this is Ramadan. The Islamic month of Ramadan is taking place right now. And in the past, this has been a time when the riots have flared, tempers have flared, terrorism has taken place in Israel. Of course, the center of that would be the Temple Mount. We're looking at all these things taking place in Israel politically. How is that affecting the Palestinians and what's going to unfold in that situation going forward? Well, Rick, yesterday was the second Friday of Ramadan. It began on last week on Thursday and Friday, and both of them were pretty calm. There was extra security forces, of course, in and around Jerusalem. Over 2,000 paramilitary forces were brought in, uh, along with the regular police, etc. And over 50,000 Palestinians were allowed from the West Bank, Judea and Samaria, to come into Israel proper and to go to the Temple Mount and pray. Uh, over 50,000 Palestinians living inside of Jerusalem and other areas of Israel were allowed as well. So over 100,000 were up there. There were chants for Hamas and against Israel, but there was no actual violence, and the Israelis were happy with that. Frankly, Rick, some analysts said Palestinians don't feel like the need right now to stir up trouble since the Israelis are fighting each other right now in such uh, numbers and there's so much tension there and disruption already that they feel maybe we wouldn't get much attention if we did anything right now. But thank God it's been fairly peaceful. And of course, Passover begins the middle of uh, this next week and we're praying for a peaceful week of Passover as well. But next Friday, when both holidays will be occurring at once. That may be the one to watch in terms of possible uh, disruption. Well, we will certainly keep an eye on that, and we will report on the goings-on there as well. Well, my final question for you, Dave, and we'll go in an entirely different area. We've been talking about Israel. We've been talking about the Palestinian situation. But there was a story that came out this week, and for students of Bible prophecy, it has a very obvious significance, and it's the fact that Russia is in talks with Turkey, Iran, and Syria on taking their relationship to the next level. Well, Russia's really emerged as the uh, bargaining partner here between Turkey and Iran. Of course, uh, Russia's been cozying up to both countries for years, but has had fairly strained relations with Turkey over the situation in Syria. But those have been repaired. And yes, the Russians are going to host the deputy foreign ministers from Iran and Turkey uh, soon in the, at the Kremlin and try to get their relations completely 
settle between them. And of course, as you said, we know that eventually all three powers and others will join in a final day's attack on Israel. And of course, the Lord intervenes and defends his people and his country. Uh, In the meantime, they need a lot of prayer right now. But uh, those biblical alliances are forming in the background, as you said, even while all the rest of this is uh, happening every day. A tagline that we often use, the political setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. We realize that uh, with all these things going on, it can't be long before the end time scenario laid forth in Scripture begins to take place. Well, David, thank you so much for reporting for us. Thank you for your knowledge and your information. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Happy to do it, Rick. God bless. David Dolan, a journalist with CBS in the Middle East for 35 years. And David has a great idea as to what is taking place. And I do think that we need to focus on next Friday when Ramadan and Passover are together. Uh, In fact, I want to talk to Itamar Marcus here coming up in the next moment, Rick, about what Mahmoud Abbas and the Palestinian Authority are calling for. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we're examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Let me remind you, I will be on April 15th, 16th, and 17th. I'll be in Peoria, Illinois at Elvista Baptist Church. I invite you to come along. I know that those of you that listen to us on the word, WPEO, we invite you to come over and say hi to us as we're there teaching God's prophetic word. In this next segment, we have Steve Herzog with Friends of Israel and Minno Kalashir, a pastor in Jerusalem. But before we get to them, I wanted to focus on the Palestinians with Itamar Marcus. Remember, there's a conflict between Jacob and Esau. The Palestinians today are descendants of Esau. That goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 25. Well, today we will see as we talk to Itamar Marcus, a situation with the Palestinians in the city of Jerusalem. Itamar Marcus joins us today. He is involved with Palestinian Media Watch. It's an organization, and it's a man that we have talked to a few times in the past, but it's been a little while. Itamar, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Always a pleasure to be with you. What I wanted to talk to you about today is there has been a rash of terrorism in Israel and it seems to be connected to the month of Ramadan. And I wanted to know what is being said, and is is there any type of incitement that is causing this from the official uh, Palestinian sources? Yes, the Palestinian Authority 
was very interested in having violence and terror right now. And we saw them promoting terror already in February. We warned about it. There was a big event of the PLO. And again, the PA leader, Mahmoud Abbas, at that event called for what they called popular uprising. Now, popular uprising means individuals are asked to take knives and stab Israelis. It's popular in that it's individuals as opposed to organized terror organizations or Palestinian Authority police. Mahmoud Abbas himself called for this. And at that same event, One of the leaders who was interviewed in the newspaper said everybody talked about it. So here we have explicit that the Palestinian Authority were the ones who wanted this terror that we've had that have already killed Israelis in the last few weeks. We see several instances where it seems to be that Mahmoud Abbas is speaking out of both sides of his mouth. He tells certain people what he wants to hear. He'll condemn an act of terrorism. But then on the other side, like you said, he'll praise it or even reward it. Exactly. He rewards all the terrorists. And that's what's the most important thing to know. Every terrorist who goes to jail in Israel immediately gets a high salary. And the salary can, if he's in jail long enough, uh, for example, if he's a murderer and he's a life sentence and he's in jail long enough, he can get 12,000 shekel a month. Just to give you a sense, the average Palestinian salary is about three and a half, four thousand. 4,000. So he's getting about three times the average Palestinian authority salary. Um, by uh, just by murdering and going to jail. And this is all at the insistence of Mahmoud Abbas. So how can anyone say that Mahmoud Abbas is a peace partner when this is what he does? Now, you talk about double talking. He tells the Americans, well, these are social welfare payments. It's not rewards for terror. But you know what? It's not true. We know that these payments are not social welfare because if a Palestinian steals an Israeli car and goes to jail, even though his family is alone and has needs, they're not going to get a salary from the Palestinian Authority. The Palestinian kills an Israeli and goes to jail. His family gets these, these massive rewards. So it is definitely linked to terror, and it's not linked to social needs. I'd also point out that the amount of money that the family's getting or that the terrorist is getting in jail as a reward of a salary, 12,000 shekel, I assure you there is no one who's getting social welfare in the Palestinian Authority, who's getting three or four times the average Palestinian salary. They're getting a tiny fraction of the average Palestinian salary. So this, this message of, and, the, and here you go, the, the, same, the same issue. I've heard American leaders repeat the Palestinian Authority claim that it's social welfare when you just look at the figures and the Palestinian laws and you know it's not true. Why would American officials perpetuate the Palestinian lies. It's an outrage. It certainly is. And we know that the the Biden administration has released funds that were withheld by the Trump administration. Even now, I see the latest article that you have up on your website, uh, the Palestinian Media Watch website, which is palwatch.org, for those of you that want to know where that is. You're talking about the PA is hiding its finances from the world because they don't want them to know what's going on. Exactly. Uh, The Palestinian Authority, under agreements with the international community, with the donor countries, has to uh, have it all available, all of their um, all their finances available online. And we've been the ones who've been going into those reports and exposing that to the world. And the Palestinian Authority keeps getting in trouble because we keep exposing things like how much money they spent on salaries to terrorists and how much money they gave to families that really needed social welfare. So this year. 
for the first time in a number of years, it's all it's all closed. The site exists, but when you go into it, you can't open up and see the figures. Now, this is a violation of their agreements with the international community. The United States shouldn't be giving them any money just because of the fact that uh, they're not, you know, they're not letting the world see the numbers. But like I said, there's a tragedy here uh, that the, and it's a tragedy for for Israel that the United States and the European countries demand so much less of the Palestinian Authority. Uh, when I say less, they demand nothing of the Palestinian Authority in terms of decency. They allow them to support terror, promote terror, pay for terror, and glorify terror. They wouldn't give any other country, any country in the world, funding with that kind of a record. And for some reason, and this is you have to get to the mind of the American leadership and the Europeans, what is it about their supporting this organization, the Palestinian Authority, even though they're killing Israelis and Jews. And I think there's a big problem in American and European policy here. Edomar, thank you so much for coming on the program today. Thank you for the work that you do at the Palestinian Media Watch, and thank you for providing an accurate portrayal of what is actually being delivered to the Palestinian people. And this is what's causing what's taking place, especially uh, the terrorism that's taking place in Israel right now. Absolutely. They could get away, they're doing it because they know that the international community never demands more of them, and they can get away with it. And as long as they'll get away with it, they'll keep doing terror. The United States and Europe, by, by not demanding an end to this, they're essentially facilitating the terror because they're giving terror a green light. Again, thank you, Itamar, for coming on the program today, and we look forward to talking to you in the future. You're very welcome, and have a nice day. Uh, well, Itamar Marcus has been the man that uh, we talked to about situations of what's taking place in the Palestinian media, hence his organization, Palestinian Media Watch. And I do think these are uh, subjects that uh, these topics are ones that we need to keep our eyes on. Well, a friend that uh, is a friend of ours and um, throughout the year, especially at the time of the feast, high holy days, uh, the high holidays, if you will. Steve Herzig, welcome to the program again, Steve. Hey, Jimmy, always good to be with you. Steve is a, he's a national director of North America for Friends of Israel. I encourage you to go to their website. Well, let's talk about the Passover. We are, uh, the Passover is starting this week. Interesting that it is also starting at the same time in the holidays and the kind of a confluence, if you will, of Easter and Ramadan all taking place. But specifically, we want to talk about the three spring feasts, specifically Passover, Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. So the first feast of the year, the, the festival calendar, is Passover. And we uh, understand that from the book of Leviticus, chapter 23. Tell us uh, a little bit about what we should know about Passover. Well, Jimmy, the, the main thing you should know about Passover, and really what is the least emphasized amongst Jewish people, uh, is and since the destruction of the temple, is the lamb. Mm. The lamb is the feature of this, specifically the blood of the lamb. And, you know, in, in Exodus chapter 12, in verse 3, it says, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household's too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. 
you shall make your count for the lamb. Then it says, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. So the idea is the lamb, Jimmy. The blood has to be applied. Exodus chapter 12 tells us that. It's to be applied on the lintels. And God says, when I see the blood, I'll pass over. And the verses you alluded to in Leviticus chapter 23, uh, and by the way, Jimmy, I always say this, Leviticus is that book that most of us in our Bibles have the pages still stuck together. But this, this, this particular chapter is so important. Verse 4 of uh, Leviticus 23 said, These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim. That's what you're doing, Jimmy, on the, on the radio. We're mm. proclaiming uh, these feasts, and we're uh, not communicating them primarily to the Jewish people, as Moses was writing here, but we are, during this time of the Church Age, proclaiming these words because they tie in to the Church. We're not bound under the law, mm. but if we can get a, 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 an understanding of these feasts, it's going to help us glorify God. It's going to help us understand the plan and the workings of God, because I believe all seven feasts really tell a prophetic picture of what God has in store for the nation of Israel and his people, the Jewish people. So you have this picture of the blood has to be on the doorpost. You have matzah, unleavened bread, and leaven is always symbolic of sin. The rabbis say in the Haggadah, we use a Haggadah, which tells us the story of Passover. Mm -hmm. And you're right, Jimmy, this year, the story takes place in Jewish homes almost exactly the way it was enacted when what we call Jesus's Last Supper, mm. which really was the Passover. That would have been a what we would call a Thursday night and what Jewish people would have called a Friday morning, because when the mm -hmm. sun goes down, it already is the next day. So you have this Friday uh, Passover where Jewish people are going to remember it, and you have the unleavened bread. Rabbis say that represents the evil inclination of the heart. Jimmy, think about that. Leaven. Uh, I don't know what most of your listeners have when they do communion. I've been to numbers of different churches mm -hmm. and denominations, and they do it differently. But I will say this. If they're not using matzah or some sort of unleavened bread, they're doing it injustice. Because in Matthew chapter 26, Jimmy, Jesus held the matzah. He wasn't holding marble rye or Italian sourdough. Or <laughs> right. he, he wasn't holding pumpernickel uh, or even Wonder Bread. He was holding unleavened bread because he was celebrating mm. Passover. Yep. And then he said this, Jimmy, this is my body. That's significant because Jesus had just been on the earth 33 years as a man, 100% man, and there was no sin found in him. Oh, they tried. They tried to find sin in, in his mm -hmm. life and in his work, but they couldn't find any because there was no sin in him. And then he held up the cup. And you know what's interesting, Jimmy, is in Exodus chapter 6, and Jewish people do this to this very day, there were four cups of wine during the Passover. And we know from the Talmud, which is extra biblical, that these cups existed during the first century when Jesus was walking the earth and on the earth. And listen to where these cups 
come from because they're vital in understanding the communion that he established in Matthew chapter 26. In verse 6 of uh, Exodus, it says, Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and here's the first cup. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So bringing them out from the burdens of the Egyptians, that's the first cup Mm -hmm. that's taken at Passover. I will rescue you from their bondage, rescue from your bondage. That's the second cup. And listen to the third cup, for this was the cup that Jesus held up in Matthew chapter 26, when, he, when it says in Exodus 6, I will redeem mm. you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Mm. In other words, Jimmy, this third cup that Jesus was taking, using Passover as a background, he was now instituting a new, under the new covenant, under his blood, a cup of what's called redemption. Mm. It's so exciting to me to realize that he used redemption of, of slavery of Egypt as a background, as something they knew to institute for you and me, redemption mm. out of the marketplace of sin and to freedom. So they're going to the promised land. Jimmy, you and I are going up to meet Jesus Christ, and what a day that will be. And that fourth cup, the fourth cup the is... Fourth cup, the fourth cup is the cup in Matthew that he did not take. Right. He'll do it with later and that fourth cup says i will that's future tense i will take you to be my people and i will be your god and he said i'll drink that henceforth when you're with me so he didn't drink that fourth cup we're waiting to drink that cup with him steve thank you so much for being with us this week and explaining to us as you do always about the jewish holidays and especially this time the passover holiday. Hey, Jimmy, always good to be with you. Well, Rick, let's switch gears for a little bit and let's go to Israel. Let's go to Jerusalem and talk to our good friend, Menno Kalashir. Menno Kalashir joins us. Longtime listeners of the program will recognize that name. He is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, Ke'ilat Yerushalayim, the Assembly at Jerusalem, a church that Menno, along with my father and another man, started many, many years ago now, and he has been the pastor. A great work going on in Jerusalem. First of all, Menno, I wanted to give greetings to you from our family and our ministry. You're a longtime friend. Thank you for being on the program. It's a joy and it's a privilege. Thank you. Before I ask you some questions, I want to talk about Passover and maybe just get your take on what's going on in Israel right now politically. But before I do that, just a quick update. If you don't mind, our listeners, I know, pray for the church there. They pray for the Christian community that lives there in Jerusalem. Can you give us an update on the church? Sure. The church is growing. Thank God. I cannot say that every week a new bus loaded of people coming, but let's call it by drops. Each week we see new faces, and it's really encouraging. I thank God for that. When I was a child, there were about a few hundred souls of Jewish believers in Israel, in all Israel, not in one church, in all the land. And today it's about 30,000 of them, only in Israel. The church is growing. I remember when I was in the army, you could say that in one big base there would be only one believer, and the army didn't know how to digest us. Jews who believe in Jesus. Today it's different. There is about Mm -hmm. 500 active uh, believing soldiers. We know that because uh, there are uh, monthly conferences for soldiers, young adults, and so on. 
so we know how many attend, how many are registered. It's simply a joy, but that's not enough. There are so many more that I believe that God chose and the gospel needs to reach them. So we are in a task. We are happy with this task to continue to share the gospel because by accepting the gospel in faith, people are saved. And I thank God that he allows us to, to be on that kind of a mission. What a wonderful report, and I continue to pray for the church there in Jerusalem, and I know many of our listeners do, so that is just a fantastic report. Well, I'd like to talk to you about a few more mundane things, but I really wanted to get your perspective on this as a Christian pastor living in Jerusalem, and we typically don't get your take on politics, but this uh, story that's taking place in Israel right now with these chaotic protests, it's kind of unprecedented on a scale that we've never really seen before. So uh, if I if I could, could I get your perspective on that? And what is your take? How do you view this situation? Well, thank you. Uh, I thank you that you also mentioned that I'm not a political figure. So I can just say <laughs> what is my opinion, and my opinion is good as yours, and it's good as any citizen in Uganda. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, the idea is as follows. We have a new government right now. After It is the fifth election in a few years. And in this election, the, uh, the government is led by Benjamin Netanyahu. And Benjamin Netanyahu now formed a coalition. And this coalition is based on some, let's call it that way, some uh, radical groups, right radical groups, orthodox religious groups, and so on. And in order to keep this government uh, as one unit, you need to compromise on a million and a few things in order to make everyone sit under one roof. Our problem is that already in the election, during the election, Bibi Netanyahu already said that there are some things that need to be changed. Uh, the form of the Supreme Court, that right now the Supreme Court is basically have much more power than anyone else, and no one really can come and say uh, anything if they decide something. Well, that's good and bad, but again, the, the idea was that nobody in Israel is supposed to be above criticism, and that was the idea behind it. Other some rules that have been also formed, and some of them could be okay, you know, it's democracy and that's okay. I do believe the problem was that a list of laws uh, have been pushed in a short time. Some of the laws were very, very weird. For example, one of our ministers, Mr. Derry, really um, had a criminal file. And uh, now he is again a minister in the same position where he was before and did his crime. So some of the laws are very unfit. And the government did a big mistake there where they pushed all these laws together without really to explain it to the nation. There was no really good treatment and explanation to each and every one of these laws. Another thing, they put all of them, all of the new laws in one basket. Uh, most of the people did not understand it. Some of the people understand that it, it looks undemocratic. It looks immoral to do some of them. And since some of the ministers are young ministers loaded with pride, they did not behave well as leaders. Listen, when you are driving a big, big ship, you cannot do a turn like a speedboat. You are taking with you all the nation, and you need to do things in wisdom. You need to do changes in, with negotiation. 
you need to explain things and not sit in the parliament and tell everyone I have the power and everyone needs to be silent. So they have learned a lesson. And many of the people, even those who vote for Bibi Netanyahu, went to the street and said, you want to do change? Not in this way. We want a government. We want a righteous government. And we don't want ministers who behave like bullies from the Wild West. So that was the situation. Benjamin Netanyahu got the message. He said, okay, we'll postpone it for a few months until July. And until then, we will negotiate with the opposition, we'll negotiate with other parties in order to make sure that we will come to agreement as a nation. We hope, I hope that that's what they'll do. Another part that was together with that, the religious parties, the orthodox religious parties, they realized that right now they can push another law. You know, if all the laws are being pushed, let's push another one. And they came up together with a law, anti-missionary law. That means about 30 and something years ago, they came up with a new law that you cannot evangelize a minor and you cannot give anything in return for someone to, uh, in order to change his religion. You cannot convince someone to change his religion in exchange of giving, giving him money or any benefit or something. You know what? Excellent. After 30 years, the churches are growing, the number of believers is growing, and not even one person is in jail. So they realize that the law that they gave um, is really not effective. So now the new proposal was you cannot speak with anyone about Jesus. You cannot give any tract. You cannot use the media. Basically, if you are a Christian, believe in Jesus, shut up. You cannot say the word Jesus unless it is your, in your uh, home to your children and to your wife. So since that was the case, of course, these news came abroad to the, to the Congress in the USA and all the Christian uh, friends of Israel in, um, in America and the Congress called Bibi Netanyahu and told him, <laughs> are you compete with Saudi Arabia? Uh, he got a message and he silenced the mouth of this Orthodox school. So it's not that they will not bring it up later on. At least right now, they put it back in the drawer. Uh, so this is what we are facing right now. So I just hope that this coalition that is made of too many parties will not press Bibi Netanyahu to do things that even he does not believe in. Well, moving away from the political, and again, I appreciate your perspective on that, I'd like to ask you about Passover. Now, I know the Feast of Passover is coming. That's a Jewish feast. But I know that your church incorporates the Jewish feast, and you use it to share the gospel. Could you talk about that and what you do there in Israel at the church to present the gospel story? Absolutely. I mean, every year we are proudly celebrating the Seder, the Passover Seder, and it's not because we think it's a command that we need to do, otherwise the gates of heaven will be closed to us. God forbid. It's our freedom to do so, and we gladly do so. Why? Because it's the best tool for evangelism. We invite everyone to come to church. Most of the years we do it in the church. Once in a few years we do it in homes, at families, and the families uh, invite other people. But I do not know even one Israeli Bible-believing church that celebrates the Passover Seder and is not using it for evangelism and does not use the Passover as a shadow of the Lamb of God who is Jesus Christ himself. So I really believe that all the churches are using it, whether in the church or whether at home. We do it as well. This year, in the coming next uh, Wednesday, we are going to do the Seder in different homes. Families are doing it at homes and invite 
friends. On a day after, we will do it in the church for those who were, didn't have families uh, to do it with. It's some of the uh, volunteers in our church, some of the young people who don't have families nearby and so on. So we do two seders this year, and in each one of them, the major idea is to present Jesus as the Lord and Savior, as the Lamb of God, very much. This is the target. This is the purpose. And if you put, don't put Jesus in the center, you just have a good meal, but nothing more than that. Well, Menno, we certainly do know that you are out there. You're working to reach the country of Israel, to reach the nation there with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If there was a way for any of our listeners to pray for you, how could we pray for you and even possibly to support you? We know you're Friends of Israel Ministry. Do you have a website, something that we could go to that we could support you? Yes. Uh, well, first of all, it's humbling even to hear it over the phone. I thank you. Those who really want to support our church or, and, or the, um, our ministry, you can go to Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry website, which is FOI, Friends of Israel, FOI.org. And through the website, uh, you can basically send a message or whatever, but any support to Jerusalem Assembly House of Redemption will guarantee to come to our church, and it purely goes to ministry, purely goes to ministry. And what can I say? It's a, it's a joy to hear it. I, I appreciate it. Well, Mano, thank you so much for being on the program. Love to you and your family, and we will continue to pray for the ministry there. Amen. Thank you, Rick. A big hug to the family. Well, we've got to take a break. And when we come back, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung in the Legacy Series, a brand new series on the kingdom, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we are examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Let me remind you that I will be in Peoria, Illinois at El Vista Baptist Church with Pastor Joy Watt, 15th of April to the 17th, Saturday night, all day Sunday and Monday night. Would love for you to come join us. I really would love for you to come and listen to us teach Bible prophecy while we're there. Well, Rick, looking forward to some trips this year going to Israel. That's right, Jimmy. We do have trips. We just actually have a new date, November 8th through November 17th. It'll be another small trip, another small group trip, 15 to 20 people, kind of a, a more of an intimate experience. If you're interested, call our office, 423-825-6247, November 8th through the 17th. And we also have several tours planned for next year as well. If you're interested there, check our website, prophecytoday.com. Yes, and I love that area that, uh, as you call it, Rick, the greatest classroom in, in the world, really, where we can study Bible prophecy, Israel past, present, and future. Well, today on the Legacy Series, we begin a brand new series, especially on the kingdom. You know, there's so much in the Bible about the kingdom. However, in the church today, there is so much confusion about the kingdom. In this first study, Dr. DeYoung will show you the pattern for the kingdom and the place where the kingdom will be ruled from by Jesus Christ. Today, he's going to look first at the roadmap through eschatology and then We'll go to Genesis chapter 1. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. This morning, I want to look at Christianity today as it relates to 
where we, many Christians, believe that we are today, and that would be that uh, indeed Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords now on his throne, and that uh, we are in, uh, to some extent, the kingdom. There's a lot of Christendom that uh, would, you, would be considered dominion theologians, believing that the kingdom is now in operation. Even if you are someone who doesn't quite believe that, but you still many times will use the terminology about Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, talking about the kingdom being in place. And these things, I believe, are very concerning uh, to me as it relates to what the Word of God has to say. And I believe that we must uh, have a proper understanding of the kingdom. Let me set in place which would be the roadmap through eschatology for the purpose of helping you get a handle or get an understanding or set a grid within your mind as how end time events are going to unfold. The rapture of the church found in chapter 4 verse 1 of the book of Revelation, also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 to 18, and then in the book of Second Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 51 to 53. Jesus Christ himself mentioned or referred to the rapture of the church in the upper room that night of the Last Supper when he made the following statement. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I shall come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's not talking about the second coming of Christ. I will gather you up to be with me. And so when we're talking about this information, we're talking about Jesus calling uh, the people up. To, he, he, he will gather us up to meet him and we will go with him into the air. So that's the rapture of the church. A seven-year period of time, we have 16 chapters of detailed information found in the book of Revelation, which would be chapter 4 through chapter 19, detailed information about the tribulation. And then we have the return of Jesus Christ back to the earth. And this is the second coming, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 and following, when he comes back to the earth, followed by the thousand-year millennial kingdom, Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 6, the thousand years when Satan is bound in a bottomless pit, the thousand years when Jesus Christ will rule and reign. And at the conclusion of that thousand years, the great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. And then into eternity future, new heavens, new earth, and a new Jerusalem. But what I would like to help you understand is there's a kingdom period that is not yet set up, but will be set up. God has a plan, has a pattern, has a place for all of this to take place. And indeed, it will happen, but it is not now in operation. And this is very key. The kingdom, no place in the Bible that I can see, has been promised to Christians. We have a relationship with the kingdom because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But the kingdom was actually promised and then presented to the Jewish people. And uh, just because that was postponed does not mean that it's going to be over forever. Let me uh, begin with a look at the God's kingdom plan and how he's going to bring it into existence. Let's go to the book of Genesis chapter 1, if you will. Genesis chapter 1, and I want to show you the pattern for the kingdom. 
because that's exactly how the Lord started out. He put in place the leaders of the kingdom, and this will help us to start to get a handle on exactly how the Lord has planned for this kingdom period of time. Of course, in Genesis chapter 1, we see creation, the six days of creation, and everything that Jesus Christ, the creator, Colossians 1.16, did to bring all that has ever been and ever will be into existence. In six 24-hour days, he says in the book of Exodus, over in chapter 20 and verse 11, I created the heavens, the earth, and all that in them is. Nothing before, nothing after has been created during that six 24-hour days. In the afternoon of the sixth day, in the morning of the sixth day, over in chapter 1, and starting in verse 24, he brings into existence all creeping things, all cattle, everything on the earth that would be the time for the dinosaurs to be created. They are not prehistoric animals. They were created on the sixth day of creation. And then I'm just suggesting in the afternoon he's going to bring in man, creating him in his own image. Look with me at verse 26, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now notice, and let them, them, plural, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. What is the them talking about? Verse 27 will define it. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Adam and Eve, which has already been defined. God said unto them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Now notice. And subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And so the pattern for the kingdom was to have Adam and Eve have dominion over all of creation. Dominion is rule over all of creation. This is the establishment of the pattern of the kingdom that would be in the future. Them having a relationship with ruling all that would be on the face of the earth. God brings them for the purpose of being able to do that. Look at the place that this would all happen, and where would the headquarters be for this kingdom? We go to chapter 2 now in verse 8 to see the place of this kingdom that the Lord would establish. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. I have to have a little bit of a concern about the way this verse reads because I don't quite understand what it's saying. It makes this statement. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. Eastward of what? You see, if you're going to give direction, uh, the word of life in would be south of Scroon Lake downtown. And so you're having a reference upon which you set direction. And so I went to the concordance, I looked up the word that was there, the Hebrew word, gadim, uh, which is uh, talking about eastward. But it also, and most of the time, is translated before times or aforetime. And so I took an alternate translation for the same word, for the same word used throughout the entire Bible. And it would read like this then. And the Lord God planted a garden 
before time in Eden. In the second chapter of the book of Genesis, he's getting ready to talk to us about the Garden of Eden and placing Adam and Eve there. And remember, in the first chapter, 26, 27, and 28, he gives them dominion over everything. So that's the pattern. The husband and wife, Adam and Eve, will have dominion over everything. And in fact, it will be in the Garden of Eden where they will have the operation for this kingdom that they're going to have. Chapter 3 is going to tell us, of course, that because of their sin, they lose this dominion. And God then puts in place another plan, but indeed they had the dominion. They had the dominion for all of, of uh, creation. When did the Garden of Eden come into existence? Go back to chapter 1 again just for a moment in verse 9. And I believe it was on the third day of creation that the Garden of Eden comes into existence. Chapter 1, verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. Now verse 11. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and all the fruit trees yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. This, the third day of creation. I believe God brought the Garden of Eden into existence at this third day of creation and brings everything in place for Adam and Eve to be placed in there to rule over the kingdom that he is going to give them in the sixth day of creation. I want you to notice several things about the Garden of Eden when it was put in place. First of all, it had trees that were bearing fruit in it at the time he created them. Now that's a very important fact. We got a lot of people telling us how old the earth is. And they base that upon the fact that indeed you have to have a period of time for all these things to evolve. The Lord God told Jesus to bring everything in existence because God the Father was the designer, Jesus Christ was the carpenter, and he's the one who brought everything into existence by speaking it so. But he did not take a little orange seed, dig a hole in the earth that he had created, stick it in the hole, put a little fertilizer on it, pour a little water on it, play some sweet music in the background, and wait for it to grow up and have an orange. No, when he created the Garden of Eden, when he created this beautiful, the trees, the shrubs, and the grass, he put a fruit tree there already bearing fruit. It already had age on it. You don't think he created Adam as a little baby, do you? Oh, Adam, you're so cute. One of these days you'll grow up and I'll pull a rib out of you and make woman. No, no he created Adam with age. Everything. Those stars out there that supposedly have been sending their light for thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of light years. Those were created with age as well. Everything. You know, the Bible talks about in the book of Second Peter chapter 3, a bunch of people in the last days who will deny the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says they will be willfully ignorant. I like my translation much better. They will be dumb on purpose. <laughs> Not willfully ignorant. They're going to be dumb, man. The Bible says it. There's only one creature that was there at the time of creation. The one who did it. And then he told Moses to write it down. Scientists 
try to explain everything. They have no capability because they're not even involved in true science. True science has to have someone who observes what happens and then be able to replicate it. No scientist was there to observe creation, and he certainly can't replicate it. God's Word tells us what happens, and He brings into existence on the third day of creation, He brings in the Garden of Eden. God's creation of the Garden of Eden on the third day of creation was for the purpose of establishing the place where the first and, in fact, the last kingdom will be set up for the Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign from for 1,000 years and then into eternity future. Next week, we'll look at the similarities between the first kingdom and the next kingdom that will be ruled by Jesus Christ. This study on the kingdom is very important for us today, but it is of great significance for each of us for the future as well. We got to take a break, and when we come back, we'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Myanmar flexed its military muscle this week on Armed Forces Day. Junta leader Minat Lang vowed to crush all opposition. He also told international critics to support his plan for the country. This is the same military leader whose 2021 coup launched Myanmar into chaos. AMG International's Brian Dennett says believers are not immune from the suffering. Visit us online to connect with AMG and send help in the name of Jesus. Meanwhile, Argentina is facing an educational crisis. 60 to 70 percent of youth don't finish high school, and there's a teacher shortage across the country. Teach Beyond plans to address this issue by opening a Christian teacher's college this year. Ministry President David Durant says God overcame many roadblocks for the college to become a reality. It could lead to similar opportunities in other countries. You can learn more about the ministry and the vision of Teach Beyond at missionnews.org. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the Shepherd's Field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., and along with my brother Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, as I look at everything that we covered in the last hour and a half, it really does. And you and I often look at social media, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram. We watch the news consistently. Man, if you look at it, it does seem like a chaotic world, doesn't it? It certainly does, Jimmy. But 
Uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier. This chaos is preparing the world for something. And when and we look at it, we know as we study Bible prophecy. In fact, as I think about this chaos, do you remember the movies? Not the Left Behind movies, but the one before that, the Thief in the Night movies. Do you remember those? I sure do, Rick. Man, every time I watched that, it scared me as I watched it. It certainly did scare me as well. But I remember thinking as I got a little older, you know, this stuff seems really far-fetched, uh, uh, an Antichrist rising to power, or uh, the government forcing you to take the mark, or the armies of the world gathering at the Battle of Armageddon. Mm. Well, as we talk about this program, and the more we look at the direction that the world is headed in, this chaos is moving towards, uh, it doesn't seem so far-fetched anymore, does it? It doesn't. And I think that, uh, I like what you said at the beginning of the program, if you didn't know how it was going to end. Yes, we are in a chaotic world. Um, I think about the families, the tragedy, the loss of those in Nashville. Uh, and not only that, next week we're going to focus on the Christian uh, holiday of the resurrection. I call it Resurrection Day, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's plan of redemption for all of mankind. The world is not getting any better. And we're going to focus next week on the persecution of Christians around the world, not just around the world. In Israel, there's persecution of Christians. And in the United States, I do think a systematic way of thinking that is anti-God, anti-Jesus Christ, anti-Christianity. And that's what the world is heading to. And can you imagine, as we look at Bible prophecy, we understand the uh, timeline of Bible prophecy, beginning with the rapture of the church, that's the next event to happen on God's calendar. After that, there's a period of time, the tribulation period will start, where a one world leader will come on the scene to bring peace to the earth. That seven-year period of time called the time of Jacob's trouble, the day of the Lord. Anytime when God intercedes with the affairs of man on earth, that's called the day of the Lord. It is the tribulation period, and there will be much more devastation. Half of the world's population will die off during those 21 judgments on the earth. And as you look at this, Rick, I mean, today I, I think sometimes when I look at the news, man, can it get any worse? But it will get worse, won't it? It certainly will, Jimmy, and that is a sobering thought. And again, that's why God put that into Scripture, because that sobering thought, What's going to take place during the tribulation period should motivate us. We've talked about it on this program. So many people will suffer such a tough time. It means that we need to get out there. We need to be motivated to share the gospel, to let people know what is happening. We know how this story ends. We know what happens in the end. And we need to be motivated to let people know. And Jimmy, I think about it, and you talk about the tribulation period so many of the things that we're talking about on this program take place during the tribulation period. Well, before the tribulation, the rapture of the church takes place. If those things are so close to happening, how close is the rapture? Yes, I think it could happen at any moment. That's what we always expect, an imminent event of the rapture of us, the church. And we do live in the church age, the age of grace. That grace period is people accepting Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That's the only way they can have a restored relationship with God the Father in heaven. And that rapture, I remember when Dad used to say he hated clear days because 
the Lord will return in the clouds, as it described in First Thessalonians chapter 4, will take place. And that's the next event. But we're living in a period where people still do evil things around the world. And it's not just one certain event. It's almost events on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. And we need to remember our role as we're here using all of God's word, even that period of time that's talked about in the future in God's word, that prophetic timeline that's going to take place. That's what motivates us. That's what gives us that blessed hope. That's what helps us to understand Time is short, and we need to be about telling others about Jesus Christ. Rick, as we do this, I appreciate the fact that you go through these stories and you talk to these men about what's happening so that as we understand Bible prophecy, it helps others to understand where we are on the timeline and the urgency of the hour. It's my privilege to be able to do that, Jimmy. And we do that just so that we can keep the body of Christ aware what world leaders are doing, why they're acting as they are, why governments are doing what they're doing. It is setting up for a future time when Satan will uh, increase his activity with himself, with the false prophet, with the Antichrist, and his evil demons, uh, Satan's evil demons on the earth. And it's going to be a, a very difficult time for people that are left here on the earth after the rapture of the church. That's why we do what we do. And our encouragement to you is to don't get waylaid by the things of this world. Remember, we have the answer and we need to get it to people and we need to get it to them soon because the rapture of the church could happen any moment. You know, I'm reminded of what John said as he wrote in Revelation chapter 22, verse 7. He adds to the common phrase, Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecies of this book. This is a description of how to live. In verse 12, John wrote after the statement that he was coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. That is why we live according to the book. This verse also tells us our eternal job description is determined. The last utterance of the quick coming of Jesus is found in verse 20, the next to the last verse in the Bible. He has John's response to the I come quickly. John offers a prayer 2,000 years ago that has not yet been answered. Even so, come Lord Jesus. This is my prayer on a daily basis as I eagerly await his shout for me to join him in the air at the rapture. I pray that that is your prayer as well. Remember, John had received all the prophetic passages that will be fulfilled as we lead up to the second coming of Jesus. And John's prayer was for Jesus to come right then. I also want to see Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And after seeing what we are seeing today in the news and what's taking place around the world, we need to be ready because that rapture could happen at any moment. Let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Mm-hmm.